Listening to the flip side with Noah Philippiad, connecting the reality of the gospel to the grid of life. You can support the podcast and pick up some sweet flip side swag at www.patreon.com slash Noah Philippiad. What is up, Flip Eponymi? Welcome to episode 85 of the flip side podcast. We're getting closer and closer to that episode 100. Super glad to have you today. Thank you so much for listening. We have an interview with Dr. Terrence Lester today. And he, uh, Terrence has been on the show before, back at episode 51. So you can go back after listening to today's episode if you want to check that episode out from two years ago. I would highly recommend that. It's great to be able to have guests on again and uh, for me to get to know them deeper and the work they're doing. And Terrence is doing some awesome, awesome work. So I'm going to read his bio here in a minute, and we'll jump right into uh, to today's episode as we continue just challenging ourselves to grow in the areas of solidarity. And Terrence, his work is with those that are unhoused, and he's now examining the, the intersection between racism and those that are unhoused and, and poverty and how these two things play hand in hand historically and frankly there's so much for us to learn uh whether you're a person of color whether you're white there's been there's been history that's been hidden from us and it really does explain a lot about how we got to where we are and the types of things we need to do uh to to undo the the way that we got to where we are and there's so many biblical parallels and so to me these are discipleship conversations and uh, I'd enc- I encourage you to continue to grow in these areas of discipleship. For some of us, these are just areas, these are muscles on our body that have never been used. So if you had surgery and, you know, you don't you don't use a muscle for a while, it becomes em- emaciated, right? It's, it's, it triples up. It becomes very small. Your, your left calf will be way smaller than your right calf, and you can't put any weight on it. You know, all those sorts of things. That's what happens in our discipleship, and I think often in this area of solidarity, this area of compassion, empathy, area of justice when it comes to racial justice and it's particularly in in the united states uh, but certainly in the first century too there was there was uh, the the circumstances were different but jesus was dealing with many of the same issues when we've grown up in environments where this piece of our discipleship hasn't been addressed the muscle is very small and weak and so it can be painful to put pressure on it i just want to encourage you to continue to put pressure on it to be gradual with it uh, but like a physical therapist would do this is spiritual therapy. I mean, this is where we're saying we're going to get that muscle stronger. That muscle's been neglected. And so on the flip side, we're going to have episodes like this one, episodes like the last one, episode 84, with doctors uh, Bracey and Emerson, where we're, we're getting deep into this stuff, and it's to strengthen those muscles. So thank you for having the courage uh, to, to, to strengthen in these areas, because doing physical therapy, I've torn my ACL three times. Uh, it's not for the birds. It's no joke. There's pain. Uh, Dr. Lester today, he's going to talk about his own journey of having to relearn how to walk, you know, after a, a near fatal car accident. And you, there, there's physical pain involved in that, but it's worth it. It's worth it to get stronger, to be able to walk again or run again. And the same goes uh, spiritually for us when it comes to this neglected area of our discipleship. So before I read Terrence's bio and jump into the interview, I want to give a shout out to Angry Brew. Got my flip eponymous. I'm a flip eponymous mug today that I'm rocking. 
Uh, thank you to Angry Brew for sponsoring the show. You can go to angrybrew.com, fivelakes.com, use promo code FLIP, and you'll get 10% off your order. Angry Brew is coffee with a punch, twice the caffeine of regular coffee. Uh, pretty pretty fun product. And also Chris's Blend, a dollar of every order uh, helps out an orphanage in Honduras, and that is awesome. It's a Christian-owned company, and we're really thankful to be able to support them and for them uh, to support us. So use promo code FLIP to get 10% off your order. And then we've been talking on the podcast about how to keep the podcast sustainable. That's my goal. I hope it's your goal as well. Uh, one free way you can do that is to take your favorite Flipside episode and share it on your social media page. Uh, share a line or two to your friends of why you like this episode and encourage them uh, to listen and, and to become a listener as well. You can also join our Patreon team, which is growing. Uh, and that is uh, patreon.com slash Noah Philippiak. For a small monthly donation, uh, you can help keep the podcast sustainable. And if you'd like, you can get some, uh, some sweet swag like a flip a pot of my mug. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Terrence Lester. He is the founder of Love Beyond Walls, a not-for-profit on poverty awareness and community mobilization. His work has been featured in USA Today, Black Enterprise, Essence, Reader's Digest, The Today Show, and Good Morning America. He was named by Coca-Cola as one of their history shakers. His books include I See You and When We Stand, and he lives with his family in Atlanta, Georgia. And his newest book, All God's Children, How Confronting Buried History uh, Can Build Racial Solidarity uh, from InterVarsity Press is available now and encourage you to check it out. So with that, let's jump in to uh, Dr. Lester's second visit on the flip side. Here we go. Well, I am very pleased to welcome back to the flip side as a returning guest, Dr. Terrence Lester. Terrence, welcome back, man. Noah. I am really excited about being back. It's been two years. Two years, dude. It's crazy. We were just catching up, and it's amazing how much happens in two years, but how fast it goes. It's it's wild, dude. Yeah, totally. Yeah, life has been, as they say, lifing. <laughs> yeah, yes, <laughs> in, it in, has. In, in many different ways. Yeah. And, man, I'm just glad to be alive. I'm glad to be, you know, able to communicate and walk and just take in all of the the small blessings that many people take for granted each day yeah so two years ago uh when we talked you were not yet dr terrence lester so I, i'd love to hear about that but also two, uh two years ago you hadn't had your accident yet uh, i don't think uh i'm trying to think of the, the exact timeline i don't think you had and and you're alluding to it there and can you just catch listeners up a little bit on your accident and your recovery and what that was like for you emotionally, but at the same time, you're still working on a PhD at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Two years ago, I was probably a year and a half into my PhD. I was really thinking about uh, social constructions related to uh, the unhoused community and those who are impoverished. And so that led me on a journey to you know, researching the history of homelessness in the United States, uh, the two mass homelessness eras, you know, the intersectionality between homelessness and race and all of these different things. And I'm getting closer and closer to like literally trying to find out what my question is uh, for, for my dissertation. And that's when um, 
you know, I'm made aware of a policy that is about to pass in the state of Tennessee that literally makes uh, sleeping outside for those who are unhoused a felony. Hmm. And so while I'm thinking about this, you know, about a year and some change go by. And in March of, um, no, it was May of 2022, uh, May 14th, I was involved in a near fatal car accident with my wife. Uh, we had gone out to dinner and um, we were celebrating, you know, some some progress in our organization. And we left there and I asked her if she would drive and she says, yeah, I would drive and I fell asleep in the passenger seat, not thinking anything mm. about not being able to get home to my children. And next thing I know, I wake up on the ground with EMTs running over to my body. And I, I still remember once saying out loud to the crowd that was watching, flip him over to see if he's still alive. Wow. Um, that landed me in the hospital, spent 26 days in the hospital, had two surgeries. Um, and that left me unable to walk. Uh, uh, really damaged my hip and my pelvis, uh, broke both of them really bad. And uh, for the next months, you know, I I got out of the hospital, had to go through all of this physical therapy, had to learn how to walk again. And it was just gut-wrenching and emotional and traumatizing and the grief. And, you know, for the first time in my life, I could not move. And it wrecked me. Um, and I'll stop there. I know you want to probe, but... You know, I had to learn many, many different lessons on on the journey to recovery and, you know, grief and faith and all of those things. Yeah. Well, and and you're pretty transparent about your journey on on Twitter, which I appreciated just asking people for prayer and and celebrating, yeah. celebrating the wins, but like being honest about the grief and um and and I was praying for you along the way. And oh, thank uh, you. Just, you know, just appreciated your um your transparency there as you, as you walk through that. And it's, it's, I mean, it's awesome to see you today continuing your work and um, you've, you've to see you walk across the stage, you know, got to watch the video <laughs> yeah. of that. And yeah. I mean, that's just, it's just, it's tremendous. And, and uh, I, I wonder, and I wanted to catch up with you, you know, we, last we talked two years ago is episode 51 of here on the flip side. If listeners want to go back and listen to that, you could listen to episode 51 and then, listen to uh today we are on episode uh 85 and for a listener it'll go by you know in a few seconds from one uh to the other yeah. uh for you it's been quite quite the two-year journey and i'm wondering i kind of I, hopefully i'm not packing too much into this question here but in that episode we talked about uh racism we talked about the church we talked mm -hmm. about ju uh, justice theology um, mm -hmm. ministering to people without addresses and centering mm -hmm. it on, we've talked literally, what does it mean to follow Jesus? So here's Jesus walking like this. We're literally going to walk the, you know, the way he's, the way he's walking. And so what, what I'm wondering is two years later, what does that road look like for you today? Both like, what are you up to today? What does that road look like? But then, um, you've had to display a tremendous amount of endurance. You've, you've had a lot of discouragements, and encouragements along the way. And I'm just wondering yeah. if that, uh, if that changed your approach at all, you know, in any way, um, now than just, you know, where things are at a few years ago. Yeah. I mean, 
a few years ago, I was really thinking about community and, you know, really amplifying the voices of those who were unhoused. I mean, two years ago, we were still dealing with, you know, all sorts of residue from COVID, not saying that we aren't right now, but, you know, we were kind of in the throes of it. And so I was still thinking like a frontline worker, right, so to speak, being very proximate to people um, in the and really the, the crucible uh, of their lives, you know, in, in conjunction with what is going on in society and culture, and then trying to reconcile, you know, my faith and whether this the church play a part in this yeah. and, you know, watching the church be really silent, silent on a lot of issues re- related to, you know, um, the racial justice issues of our day and um, sort of like the the class issues uh, that many people who you were serving and, um, you know, listening to were being impacted by some of those, those very things. And so I started to see like, you know, this deep, deeper need for me to speak out uh, mm-hmm. about these things, but also to, um, you know, make it very clear for those who didn't understand where some of the uh, structural issues related to those who are impoverished actually comes from. And so uh, when you talk about intersectionality and the the connection between race and class and things, I wanted to be more explicit in, you know, kind of unpacking that. And so uh, I've continued that work. I've kind of like regained a renewed sense of all and purpose related to uh, that work. And so here you are, um, you know, a few years later, I'm I'm writing about uh, the intersection of race and class and some of the things that I've experienced as a Black man navigating all of that and being a champion of standing in solidarity with those who are overlooked while advocating for myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, to... A good lead in. I've got your new book here, All God's Children. So that's yeah. awesome. Great book. Uh, congratulations on the new book. And uh, we'll, we'll have a link to the book in the show notes for listeners to check out. Let me read the, the subtitle, All God's Children, How Confronting Buried History Can Build Racial Solidarity. And um, one of my first questions regarding the book, because you mentioned it in there and you were just mentioning it now, uh, what is the connection between the work you do with anti-poverty and anti-racism? Because it's not always a connection uh, that that people put together. Yet when you start to look at our history, uh, you can't you can't really separate the two. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, intersectionality itself. Uh, was kind of like this theory that was introduced to the legal field um, by Black feminist feminist scholar uh, Kimberly Crenshaw. And uh, what this term does is it presents a framework that kind of describes the how overlapping social identities and social structures related to racism and a class or oppression kind of intersect. And the best way I can describe this, right, uh, for someone who may not understand and <laughs> will be afraid of this term, 
<clears throat> for, for example, a black person, right, who is unhoused, right, uh, or dealing with poverty because um, Joe Blue in his book, The Visible Poor, would argue that we shouldn't be separating homelessness from the word poverty because if you are unhoused, then you are poor, right? So a black person who is unhoused might experience discrimination not only for their housing status, right? But they may also experience discrimination because they are also black. Mm -hmm. Two different identities overlapping, causing the compounded nature of discrimination. Case in point, when I was doing my PhD research, um, I focused on the state of Tennessee. Why? Because the state of Tennessee passed a law that makes sleeping outside a felony. Um, as a part of my dissertation, I did a traditional paper and then I wanted to do a creative component. And so a part of my dissertation was to shoot a documentary. Um, I went over to the state of Tennessee and I'll never forget traveling to four cities, uh, just doing street interviews. I lived on the streets and interviewed uh, people in their context. I was less than a mile away when I was in Memphis from the very place that ML King was assassinated mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for taking a stand against poor, what, sanitation workers who were what? Black. Yeah. I was interviewing a lady named Catherine. She was a, a white woman, <clears throat> a beautiful spirit. And uh, I asked her, I say, uh, how do you survive? And she starts to talk about all of the challenges uh, related to the law and her sense of self-worth. But then she gets to this really important point. She says, at least I can walk into a restaurant hmm. or a hotel and use my whiteness to access a restaurant. Wow. But I feel bad for my black friends who are experiencing homelessness. I say, well, what do you say? What do you, why do you say that? And she says, because if you're black and unhoused in the city, not only have, do you have to deal with um, not having an address, but people are still racist. Mm. And I mean, that's just the clearest example of like the importance of understanding how race can uphold uh, classism or as um, Isabel Wilkinson argues in, their, in her book, you know, this caste system. Yeah that causes people to be at the bottom. And so it's important <clears throat> uh, when I think about, you know, linking, you know, anti-racism work to anti-poverty work, because, you know, throughout history, you can actually see systemic things that were upheld by white supremacy that causes the residue of why people are faced with some of the uh, challenges that are related to their impoverishment today. Yeah. Yeah. And I can give, I don't know if it's testimony is the right word. It's, uh, it's I'm embarrassed of it, you know, but uh, I grew up, so I grew up in the white suburbs of Dayton, Ohio. So out, you know, not in, out away from Dayton and my town, uh, it was uh, just mostly all white people, you know, and um, I, nobody ever taught me this. Like, I think this is the thing. Nobody ever gets up at church or, or you know, my parents never sat me down and said, uh, people are poor because they're lazy. You know, people are poor because they didn't do their homework. You know, they're, mm, they're poor because mm. they um, they they made bad choices. Right. And yeah. they're poor. 
And so don't be that as long as you work hard and, you know, uh, do your homework and, and whatever, uh, and make good choices, you know, you, you won't be poor. And so you just immediately get this uh, explanation given to you, mm. which is uh, I'm not poor because I made good choices and, you know, they're poor uh, because they, they made bad choices. And meanwhile, everybody in my suburban middle class town is white. And uh, if you were to drive through, you know, urban Dayton, Ohio, or where I live now, urban Grand Rapids, Michigan, or Atlanta, or any city, you know, in the US, uh, you're going to find highly concentrated populations of African Americans, and, uh, and now Latino, Latino folks as well. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, you, if you don't know your history, okay, if like, if you, so there's a couple options here, you never were taught it uh, by, by like, uh, intentionally, education systems that are intentionally ignoring <laughs> it right or right, right. you 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 were taught it or you had the opportunity to be taught it and you rejected it as false or something right mm. but when when you don't know your history you you become this really well so we use the word ignorant that just means you don't know Ignor ignorance just means you don't know something um like if you don't know how to drive a car, you shouldn't be behind a wheel. You know, like you just you have to have a knowledge or, or you know, whatever it may be, just kind of there, there, if you don't have the knowledge about history of race, you're, you're, you're trying to function in a society where like you the, the, the problem is you think, you know, you think, you know, because, you know, Fox News is telling you things about poverty and you think they must be right or, you know, just whatever, whatever it may be. Um, OK, I'll, I'll try to land my, my plane here on, on, on what I'd call. I don't know if testimony is the right word, but when I uh, we talked a little bit before about divided by faith, and when I read that book, uh, where I, I so listeners listening to this for the first time, just interviewed Dr. Michael Emerson and Dr. Glenn Bracy last episode of the flip side to be episode eighty four on their new book coming out, Religion of Whiteness. But when I read Divided by Faith back in two thousand eight, I was living in urban Lansing, Michigan planting a church in urban Lansing, Michigan, and starting to do, I was in proximity and I, I lived on the block and I was doing, uh, we were doing a park ministry down the street at the park. And yeah. uh, I, I, we, every kid at the park is black and uh, everybody at my church plant is white. And the kids start coming to my church. They start walking to church because they like me, they know me, they, they know they're going to be loved and we have food. And so I have, I still have all these old assumptions from growing up about why people are poor. And I can't even hardly say this out loud, Terrence, but you, it is such a racist, like racial stereotype that we as white folks end up having that because there's this concentrated population of black folks that are poor in the, in the urban core. And, but then we were taught you're poor because you're, you're lazy and you made bad choices. You just look at, you look at, Black folks that are poor and you go, well, you're, you're lazy and make bad, bad choices. And you think how racist, mm. right, of a, th mm. of a thought mm. that is. Mm. Right. And that is like born into me like like a baby drinking from a bottle. I just feel like I was literally I was literally raised on that. So all this to land a plane and say it wasn't until Divided by Faith, George Yancey and Michael Emerson came to my seminary and did a one day talk. And I was in a class where we were talking about these things. And when I started to learn the history about redlining and I started to learn the history about Jim Crow laws and I started to learn the history yeah. about reconstruction and how it failed and why it failed and what happened after reconstruction failed, 
then I started to go, oh, it, it clicked. And I went, this is an injustice. This is a justice issue. This has nothing to do with somebody that made, you know, bad choices and and and, and whatnot. So all that to say, I'm going to, sorry about that long, that, that long lead in here. Um, yeah. You write about all that stuff in, in All God's Children. And so I, I want to... Um, I want to hear from you on on why you wrote All God's Children. We kind of have touched on it already. Um, but yeah. why, why did you feel like it was necessary to travel, again, uh, confronting buried history so we can build racial solidarity? Why is that such an important step for you? Yeah. Yeah, I think a number of reasons uh, why I really wanted to write the book. Um, firstly, I am... You know, I'm a person of faith and I've had the opportunity to navigate a lot of different spaces, right? Um, you know, predominantly white spaces, uh, predominantly black spaces, which is a part of my historical upbringing and my, you know, induction into the faith, um, you know, Latin spaces, Asian spaces, spaces, um, just a lot of different spaces. Right. But particularly, um, it wasn't until I started navigating uh, mostly white lit spaces and I would find myself as the only black person in the space, uh, the only black communicator. Um, even when I look at the seminaries that I went to uh, or the Bible college, you know, I was always in a minority group and you know, when I look at my my upbringing, my K through twelve experience, you know, I, I I noticed like this intentional exclusion related to Black history. Yeah, you know, and it wasn't until I started to have conversations with my grandparents to kind of get that oral tradition of like their lived experiences that kind of opened my eyes to, oh, like I'm connected to this heritage of triumph, but also of pain and suffering that, you know, that our people have experienced. And I did not learn that anywhere. I remember mm. times being in Bible college, wondering why Black history wasn't talked about, wondering why, you know, Black scholars or Black apologists or Black church fathers, right, weren't, you know, centered in the conversation. And it was always being left out. And then fast forward, you know, as I started to encounter this information and we see all of these racial justice issues surface, you know, from the killing of Mike Brown to George Floyd to Philando Castile. I mean, mm -hmm. Breonna Taylor, you could time and time again, when I would be in predominantly white spaces, nothing would be said. As a matter of fact, um, I kind of write about this there would be more questions than concerns. There would be more critique of the individuals whose lives were taken than actual, actual care and concern as to how this is connected to history. And I, I go, oh my God, like we need a robust confrontation, right? And confrontation doesn't have to be uh, negative all the time. Yeah, We need to really sit with, the connection between what has happened and how that continues to show up today. I mean, man, I, my, my grandmother is 91 years old. She's still sharp of mind. She just visited our organization 
walked through our Dignity Museum and stood in the museum and told me she was born in 1932, uh, mm. you know, during the Great Depression. She remembers not being able to go to a museum, not being able to work in certain stores. And she's verbalizing this to me, not being able to access good textbooks and being concentrated in, on certain parts of the uh, of the city because of fear uh, for her blackness and her life being taken if she would have navigated outside of those confines. She remembers how poverty was concentrated. She remembers all of these things. And I go like, why don't we understand, uh, you know, some of these connections? Because she talks to me about her parents and their grandparents and how they weren't have given access to read. But yet we see it in the state of Florida right now some of the same connections yeah. that are happening with book banning because of this fear of CRT. But in reality, it's banning black history and the things that actually happen. And so I say we need to confront it because when we confront it, we understand and we are aware what we don't need to do to repeat it and how best we might be able to stand and honor the, the dignity of our brothers and sisters who also are a part of the faith, right? Yeah, yeah, that was actually my next question, you know, was about the, I think it was a, f a few months ago when it hit, it hit uh, Ron DeSantis made African-American studies illegal in Florida schools. So the, the AP courses in the high schools, I think it, it was, and he he made, he banned them, you know? And I, and I know yeah. um, Dr. Emerson in the last episode was just talking about, uh, he knows he knows uh, people in higher education, Christian education, even that are. Uh, I guess I can't. I'm trying to remember the context he mentioned. If it was like public schools, high school, it was just kind of in general, kind of that high school, college. It didn't matter. He both formally people who were afraid I will get fired if I talk about. And when mm. we say when we say CRT, that's like a boogeyman word nowadays, right? We're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about history. We're just talking about the systems that created our culture. And they're they're this these the things I just rattled off, things like redlining, things like, you know, Jim Crow laws, the, the things that that created the real estate environment we have today, the things that created the economic uh environment that we have today, right? And so yeah, uh, these so, things are all right. Oh, jump in. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, yesterday was Emmett Till's, would have been Emmett Till's 82nd birthday, right? Mm. The men who brutally lynched Emmett Till when he was a teenager got off of their murder charges because a group of their peers uh, uh, who were in the jury, right, in this legal system, literally gave them an, a, an escape from not dealing with the responsibilities and being held accountable for their actions against a black child, a black body. CRT, right, in its, in its theoretical basis is, is academic, it's a legal framework that denotes that there is some systemic issues, right, of racism that's embedded in education and housing and employment and healthcare and even the legal system, right? That got those white men yeah. off that they later uh, told that they committed this, this crime 
against a black boy. And so, you know, I think it has become a boogeyman because it has been hijacked to be uh, used in political rhetoric uh, that has coded language that um, stokes a base of people who want uh, to make America great again or who want to uphold this, this, this form of white supremacy and whiteness that in many ways have continued to uh, promote violence and harm and division and an ideology that literally uh, blames those who have been harmed by right. historical things um, as, as, as the reason why this should be banned. And so like they say CRT, but what they're really talking about is black history. Yeah. Yeah. And when you see, when you see lead politicians, now someone running for president who, who's trying to make this stuff Ill, literally illegal. So what Emerson was saying is he has friends who have said, I can't talk about that or I'll get fired or those who have talked about it and they be, get ostracized by their, and we were in the context of talking about, you know, practicing white Christians and how, how prevalent this is and what Bracey and Emerson called the religion of whiteness and how it this got picked up by white evangelicals and you can go on to uh you can go on to i know like the gospel coalition has an article or two about crt and and why it's evil and why it's this great sin and all this kind of thing and you just i i want listeners to be really careful about uh it's I just want I want I want listeners to be able to slow down and to, and to be able to stop and and when when we see so uh, I, I think you mentioned this in your book but anyway just this idea that history to me history should be objective and non threatening it's just like hey here's some history this is what happened like this is what happened we can learn from it so wh when you have people that are literally trying to um, censor history they're, they're trying they're trying to change history right and I, I think of those that deny the holocaust happened and and most americans sensible you know i 99.9 percent .9 of americans would be like the holocaust happened y'all like if you deny it you've got issues right like you could <laughs> major issues major issues right but without <laughs> that's what's happening with this like when we're trying yeah. to deny that and 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 the other thing to it, I think there's there's this 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 brand of like thinking within certain schools of white thought that, well, that happened such a long time ago, you know, let's move on. And your example, well, and then there's several layers there. Your example of your grandma is a great one where people literally living today were under the thumb of Jim Crow laws. Still, yes, you can watch. Yes. You don't you don't have to be a scholar. You don't even have to read a book. You can watch like Brian Stevenson's uh, Just Mercy movie. And you'll yeah. see that this is like Brian's whole life in the legal system. His whole life in the legal system is facing racism after racism after after racism. And and you just just watch that movie and you go, oh, or you mentioned um, Emmett Till, that the movie Till, T-I-L-L, uh, so, someone go just go go watch that and and you will see uh, that wasn't that long ago. First of all, that I, I always say like back um, would be, you know, that 
we're talking about the 50s, the 60s. This is when the Beatles were popular. Elvis Presley was popular. You know, like that that was music my parents listened to growing up. This is the music I was listening to in the backseat growing up. This is still our lifetime and the things that. 1955. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah he was he was murdered August 28th, 1955. Um, it's not that long ago. Not that long ago at all. And man, I <clears throat> I remember. I mean, I talk about this in the book, but I remember the talks that I was given, right? Um, and the talk is more of like a rites of passage in in the black community when you know elders or grandparents or parents talk to their children about what it means to be black how to navigate certain spaces, you know, how to protect yourself against violence uh, from, you know, going out into the world, uh, you know, how to mitigate harm if you're pulled over by the police officers. Like you're actually taught, right, mm -hmm. how to survive. Like, you know, if you go in a store, make sure you have your hands out of your pocket. Or, you know, if you go in a store, like I still remember these talks, you know, um, and somebody starts following you around because they view you as a criminal or a thief, pull your money out of your pocket. Don't go into stores um, when you are in a group. Never show public emotion, right? You couldn't be sad in public. Like all of these nuanced things about how to survive. And I remember uh, like getting this information as early as age nine. There's research right now that says the talk is even given starting at as early as age six for black children, um, where you encounter like these adult racially constructed ideas about race and, and class as early as age six because of your skin color, right? And I argue uh, for people to consider what talk they were given, you know, whether it was verbally or non-verbally, right? What environments were you in? You know, I still remember sitting across from my grandfather and him talking to me about Emmett Till before I was 14 years old. Yeah. I was nine years old, bro. You know, and him using that story because he was alive when it happened. Mm. <laughs> and he was talking to me about, you know, the types of uh, the things that I would face because of my skin color. Right. I have a PhD right now and it doesn't matter. Like I have friends who are police officers that are black when they get off of work, if they are pulled over, they have just as much as fear as a person who is not law enforcement because of the color of their skin. Right. I can go, I've been in rooms uh, where I have been blatantly, uh, you know, uh, thought of as a janitor. I've had white people come up to me in several environments and just see me in the lens that is menial and, uh, you know, just like nothing, you know, kind of being uh, lesser than, right? And like, these are the, the types of things that we're talking about. Like when you talk about de jure law or de jure law versus de facto uh, discrimination, de jure discrimination, you know, it is the red line. It is the war on drugs. It is ma uh, mandatory minimums. It is... Uh, some of the things that we have seen historically that was written by policy. And although some of those things have been removed, they still show up de facto, right? 
is, is by fact in the hearts of people, right? And that's what we need to pause and consider in this moment, you know, how the structural things have created such a toxic environment that even though some of those things have been done away with, it's still showing up in the hearts and the minds of people who are now in power, who have the power to ban a book or ban education or say, uh, you know, slavery, like people benefited from slavery, Uh, enslavement. Uh. Slavery was rape. Slavery was torture. Slavery was murder. Slavery was separation of families. Slavery was not an internship. It was not a program uh, that was set up or designed for, uh, you know, uh, Africans who were enslaved in this country um, to benefit from it. It was capitalism. It was uh, using uh, Black bodies as property. It was all of these things. And we have to consider what type of message we are sending or you, uh, the persons who are doing this are sending when they don't include the Black narrative. And the reason I'm I'm so passionate about this is because how can you say you're worshiping in a church and you may be sitting next to your, you know, your black or brown friend who may be black or Latin or a Pacific Islander or Asian American or whatever, but yet want to uphold the denial or the erasure of that uh, sister or brother in the faith's history. You to really love your neighbor, you got to love everything that has shaped them. You got to love the neighborhood that they emerged from, and you have to be concerned with the issues that that yeah. neighborhood faces. And yeah. I'll say that time and time again. Yeah, yeah. First Corinthians twelve: When one part of the body suffers, all parts suffer. You know, I I think that's such a a verse that we in the white church have just completely neglected. Uh, we, mm. <laughs> just like you're not suffering, actually, you're fine. <laughs> Uh, or we don't care that you're suffering, you know, um, and it's just, it's really, it's really telling. So you mentioned in all God's children, empathy, compassion, and understanding as three things that, you know, play a really important role in this. And I think about yeah. empathy, compassion, understanding, and you think if you could kind of boil down to your children, sometimes, you know, my kids are 11, nine and six, and it really tests your mettle as a theologian when your kids start asking you questions and you have to explain it and break it down to them. But, and I, I think, you know, one of the ways you could explain what does it mean to live like a Christian, you know, to your kids, I I, I think you could really center a good argument around empathy, compassion, and understanding that when, when we have Jesus inside of us, uh, it, it gives us and because we believe in grace. That's that's my big thing. It's like we believe in grace. We believe we're yes. forgiven. Uh, yes. Everybody's broken. Uh, Jesus makes us whole. So because of that, man, I'm, I just have empathy for others mm. and compassion for others and understanding because I'm just we're all in the same boat. Like we all just need grace. We need Jesus. That should be a fruit of what it means, you know, to follow Jesus. So I lead into that because Christians ought to be the best at this. Christians ought to be uh, the best equipped to, to uh, have empathy, compassion, and understanding for, uh, in this case, I'm, you know, I'm specifically, as we've been talking about white Christians, to have empathy, compassion, understanding for Christians of color, for black Christians with the specific history that we're talking about here. And so we, uh, again, it's this, uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking about, because I just interviewed 
Drs. Bracey and Emerson, and in their research, they just have not found that that is the tr- <laughs> that is true. Um, that that it's practicing white Christians who who do not have empathy, compassion, and understanding. Uh, you know, towards towards um, these historical facts, towards uh, Christians of color, towards people of color in in the United States, t- towards this history. So, let's try to shift towards. Um, listeners today listeners are listening to this i want i want listeners yeah. to read to read all god's children i want us to know that we can make a difference one i want us to know we're in a point of history we can't just be spectators at this ron DeSantis stuff like this is scary stuff man and i always tell my listeners i'm not telling you to vote republican i'm not telling you to vote democrat i'm not telling you that i am telling you there's certain candidates that you need to be that you need to be aware of what they're selling and that when when a candidate is trying to get votes literally based on racism and is trying to conjure up some oftentimes Christians trying to conjure up a base of voters based on these really old racist narratives. We can't be okay with that as Christians. Like this is injustice in our land, in our society, and we need to call it out. So we need to know that that's going on. But I also want listeners yeah. to know you can make a difference. You, d- you don't have to stand on the sideline. You can you can be a change agent, and we need that today. One of the ways to be a change agent is empathy, compassion, and understanding. So I'd love, uh, Terrence, to just hear from you a little bit more on that as a, as a tool, uh, if that's the right word, or some practical help with how how do those three things play a role in anti-poverty work as well as in anti-racism work yeah wow empathy um one of my friends says is a virtue that is muscular enough to handle the complexities of our day Hmm. i think that is uh empathy is huge because at the core of solidarity work um is empathy empathy makes space for lamentation right where you have genuine concern when you lament with others when we think about lamentation in the scriptures uh lament itself you know has space for suffering uh the outcries the doubt the um the challenges the uh the hope um the fears uh, the questions to God, like lament it within itself creates this environment where we are petitioning God and we're crying out from the depths of uh, all of that we are experiencing. I would say that empathy is in connection with lament because let's just say uh, that someone is suffering um, and you choose to stand in solidarity with them. I think through the hearing of a person's lament, their cries, what they're faced with, um, by you uh, being in close proximity to them, then allowing your heart to be open enough where you join in that lament, that builds the type of connection where you're saying like, I'm grieved at this. I'm grieved that people don't have access to a shower. Mm. When I woke up this morning and I got a chance to shower, I'm grieved that during COVID, People who were unhoused didn't have access to sanitation to wash their hands when they were saying that. I'm I'm grieved that a person um, uh, has to wake up and you know kind of decide whether they're going to spend their money on the ability to wash their clothes at a laundry 
or purchase food for their child. Like I'm grieved at that. And I'm standing in solidarity. I'm crying out. I'm listening to their griefs and grievances and their suffering. And that should move me, right? Uh, to have the type of compassion and empathy where I join in that lament. God, what can we do mm. to help? What can yeah. we build to help? What can we practically do to serve our neighbor, right? Isn't that the at the core of what Jesus says he's come, he comes to earth to do? He literally took off all of glory and all of those things. He says, for the son of man didn't come to earth to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That same type of framework uh, when we are like engaging people in, in their suffering and their lament as how can I serve? How can I give my life uh, uh, for my neighbor? How, how can I sacrifice for my neighbor? How can I uh, ensure that my neighbor understands that they too are part of the beloved community of God, right? Mm -hmm. And then we have to listen, right? We have to listen and we have to learn, but listening and learning doesn't come with the type of listening and learning that has editing in, within it, mm -hmm. right? Where you are engaging your neighbor and you want to, uh, you know, practice um, this this performative uh, solidarity work where you want to be close to your neighbor and you want to say you love your neighbor, but you want to edit the stories that they're telling, right? I think that type of censorship uh, does a disservice to those people who are suffering, right? It's lamentation, then it's listening. Uh, and listening is sometimes a ministry within itself. You know, it's the ministry of presence. It creates an opportunity for people to just talk, right? And be their full selves without the fear of being edited. And then it's learning from others, but not putting the onus onto people to make them teach you, right? Yeah. It's about learning because you have been proximate and built the relationship. And through the relationship, you're learning things about the person that you say that you care about. And then there's immersion, right? You immerse in the world of another so much so that you uh, indirectly understand the ways in which you can be uh, of service to a, another person. And you get a chance to understand the worldview of another person when it has come to like doing this practical ministerial work the best things that i've benefited from have been getting to know people yeah i've been pausing my life long enough to be immersed in somebody else's world even if my world is different to build that relationship to understand the cries and the fears and the hopes but then to pray to God and ask, how may I be a service and how may I, might I stand in solidarity with this neighbor that I say I love, that you called me to love? Mm. And from there, you know, I think the empathy and the compassion continues to develop and you find more ways to stand alongside your neighbor. And then that's when you use your voice because all of that work before you start to use your voice you know, um, is essential because, you know, you, you're getting an opportunity to spend time with people that you're going to speak up for. Yeah. You know, and I think that's important. You know, I think compassion, empathy, you know, all of this is at the core of what we see Jesus doing in the scriptures.
um, the way that he talked to people, the way that he saw people, the way that he was tender with people, the way yep. that he heard people's cries, the way that, you know, he offered support and solidarity, the way that he groaned with the pains of people, right? When Lazarus dies, he weeps. We follow a Jesus that weeps. Like if we literally looked at the life of Jesus and asked ourselves, how could we best uh, model some of the, the ways in which Jesus lived in our context, not trying to cookie cutter anything, that would lead us to a lot of answers that we've been seeking. Man, you're making some great connections just to scripture there as you're talking. I'm picturing Jesus. If we could really picture Jesus and the way he walked in first century Palestine, and he's he's walking around just the people he's hanging out with. And it 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 was not the people that was expected that a religious leader would hang out with. And that was one right. of the reasons he got rejected, is because he didn't pander to the powerful. He just became, he incarnated. Like we we, yes. we sing about Emmanuel, God with us. And we're so glad mm. he incarnated to us, you know? And, and I think that's where the, the individualism of the American evangelical gospel really falls short because we go, man, the gospel, gospel, gospel. He incarnated to become like you, you know, he became one of us. But I just think of that as cool. Like he became like Noah, he became like me. And, and so as if me and Jesus are in this exclusive club together and he incarnated amongst uh, the broken people in his society. And, and, and I'm no different. It's not that like, it's just that our, our society has, oh my goodness, it's, <laughs> it gets so sad sometimes when I look at how the way our society w was built and we've created the class system, like the caste system that Isabel Wilkerson talks about uh, but, you know, you, you, Jesus, there's Bible verses where, you know, he's he's the, the words the scriptures use is he's he's eating that they call a, a glutton and a drunkard because he's eating dinner with tax collectors and sinners. He's hanging out with prostitutes. Right. These are just the words scriptures use. This was his crew. Those these are the people he hung out with. And, and it would have been the poor people of culture. It was not the it was not the elite class. It was the it was the, the poor class. And um that is what it means to live like Jesus, right? So, okay, so lots of scripture there. I'm just connecting those dots and I want listeners to connect those dots too. My next question is, is practical. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. Most of my listeners are probably white. Most of my circles still, I mean, I'm white. It's just how it is, right? Like my, my, my family, my friends, my people I went to high school with. So if you're, if you're, if you're listening to this, as a white person, sometimes there, there's this this challenge, and and I love that you talk about proximity uh, in in all God's children. So that's what we're going to get to here. Proximity can feel difficult when you're, let's say, you're white and you're living in an all white town. You know, you're living in one of these suburban towns or a rural mm. town. There's lots of rural towns, man. If you look at like Michigan, is just filled with these rural towns. You go north, it's just like white, 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 white everywhere. You know, yeah. you, you, you get outside of a urban center and it's white, white, white everywhere. So you're you're you tend to go to a white church if you're in an all white town, uh, though. Let me just be real. There's plenty of people living in the suburbs or on like the edges of the suburban and the urban who, who don't have to go to a white church, but who choose to. Um, but let's say you're going to a white church. Your circle is white. Everything's white around you. Uh, 
what are you, you could move for sure. That's an option. Uh, let, let's say moving is not an option. I just want to be really real and practical. I don't want to beat yeah. listeners up. I'm not trying to beat listeners up. Um, I want to help listeners take one step, right? To take yeah, one for sure. step forward. Cause one sure. step I think will lead to two. Once you take a step, you're like, Oh, there's something here, you know, you, and then you find the rabbit yeah. hole eventually. Yeah. But what is that? What is that first step? Do you feel like for, for listeners who find themselves in that, in that boat? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's a real thing, right? Um, you know, communities tend to be homogenous in that, you know, you're, you know, in closer proximity to those who are more like you. And you can't really be physical, physically proximate, right? Uh, so we have to sometimes result to cognitive proximity, you know, um, you know, I remember going through Bible college and college and majority of the people that I read were white scholars, <laughs> white authors, right? And, you know, it wasn't until like I really opened up the world to realize that there were so many uh, black and brown authors that I had yet to read that spoke to my existence. And so like I started collecting books similar to you, Noah, and uh, just really immersing myself. And that caused me to be cognitively proximate to my own history and heritage. You know, diet isn't just about what you're eating. Diet can be who you're listening to, you know. You know, I would challenge people to be proximate cognitively and like, you know, listen to Black leaders. When was the time, last time you heard a, a, a Black person give a sermon, right? Um you know, what books are you reading that were written, written by Black authors, right? And this is not a shameless plug for my book or anything. I just read Black literature or Black and Brown literature. Um, when was the last time you looked up a historical fact about Black history in relationship to CRT? I mean, you can just start making mental shifts slowly. Like you start with one book or you start with one sermon or you start with one podcast or you sit at the table in the in the book I, I label one chapter sit at another's table and what mm -hmm. I'm really describing as like when you invite somebody to your table you're eating their meal you you know <laughs> you know they own the table yeah. it's like the, the, they're tailoring the conversation right there it's but when you go to another person's table and get a meal whether it be via book or podcast or whatever you have to pause long enough to to sit with how something has been prepared that your hands did not touch. That is the message, right? Mm. And then you can start to slowly, you know, whether if, if you wanted to, you know, where do you buy your coffee, right? If you order it online, why not support a black business? You know, uh, where do you get your clothes? Why not patronize uh, a small black business that may not get as much you know, patrons because of an, you know, it's just yep. those subtle shifts in like how you begin to align yourself with supporting people that are not like you. And I think that is the true essence of what Jesus is saying. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's, it's easy to love people who are right around you, right? It's hard to practice that same love with someone who is not like you. And that's what I'm really calling people to do to consider the ways in which they have 
made small decisions to stand in solidarity with uh, people who are also beloved uh, people of God. Yeah. And talk about biblical stuff. The Good Samaritan parable, the whole thing is about what you just said, loving your neighbor. It's all about racism and these yes. ethnic divides in the culture. And Jesus is so countercultural in the stuff <laughs> that he talks about in, in Good Samaritan. So let me ask you this, and then uh, well, I'll, 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 I'll get you out of here uh, after, after this question. So I, it, well, my question is, can you rattle off to us um, some books, movies, TV shows, maybe like docuseries, uh, podcasts uh, that yeah. you would recommend? And, 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 you know, feel free to give us a, a, as well, many or, or few as you want. And then I want to just kind of see if you have any like closing thoughts that you want to give uh, before we well, wrap up. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I do really well, even at the end of each chapter in the book, is I give like a, a small practical thing that a person can implement nice. right away. Great, great. Also in the appendix of the book, um, I give, you know, a list of books to read, further education material, as well as, you know, films to watch. I mean, I nice. can rattle off some, yeah. you know, Between the World and Me, uh, Tanahasi Coates, uh, Go Tell It on the Mountain, James Baldwin, Invisible Man, Ralph Ellison, uh, one of my good friends, Dr. Jamar Tisby, uh, The Color of Compromise, or uh, he has a new book that he's working on, The Spirit of Justice. Um, Esau McCullough, McCulley, uh, Reading While Black, uh, a good friend of mine, Lamar Hartwick, disability and the church he actually has a book that's coming out um that deals with ableism and racism and their uh connection mm -hmm. where do we go from here by martin luther king jr uh jesus and the disinherited by howard thurman the cross and the lynching tree by james cone i mean yeah it's it's tons of tons of uh resources that i outline but you know greater than that man people could easily type in you know things online we search for things all day on google yeah. or, or now use ai right people are using ai but like i would just really take a moment just pick one book don't or one article right don't try to overwhelm yourself and buy a stack of books that are probably just going to sit on the shelf just like yep. pick something that speaks to you start with you know a couple pages 10 pages here 10 pages there and, and just kind of process what you're going to read you know yeah yeah and yeah. you have i've found the appendix awesome so yeah. uh you have the films or tv series to watch as well which i think yeah. can be helpful not everybody reads uh yeah. and that sort of thing and and um just your first one on the list 13th i i was really impressed with 13th i felt like i feel like they're able to they're able to condense so much history into you know an hour and a half or or whatever yeah. the, whatever the film is uh yeah. but, but just to give give listeners the podcast listener heads up there's a great list there of of movies and and shows um you know to to watch as well so yeah, yeah that's uh that's great and i and i want to still push people to that second step you know take the take the first step be cognitive solidarity but there there are ways even if you live in a rural area i mean there there are ways to connect in person and and maybe it's volunteering yeah. at a nonprofit. you know that's, that's right drive 30 minutes to a nonprofit and volunteer drive that's right 45 minutes to a nonprofit and volunteer i mean that's not that long of a drive 
Uh, I, yeah. I really want to push listeners into that. Uh, if you don't have a home church or you're you're looking to make a change, I mean, really look at churches that are multi-ethnic or look at churches that are um, that are ethnic churches or you know churches that are just um, homogenous, not white churches, and just uh, go visit at least. You know, consider consider um, just there's there are things the the in-person piece is 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 really is really really big and there's, yeah there's so many opportunities out there particularly in the nonprofit world to get involved i mean yeah take advantage of that take advantage get involved because i mean through that service you get a chance to roll up your sleeves be with people and be doing the work as well yeah and let me say this too i don't just mean nonprofit world like i'm gonna go you know I'm going to go serve poor people, which it's, it's about bringing pro proximity and hearing stories and, and picking nonprofits like love beyond walls that are led by strong black leaders that are led by people of color. And, you know, who, who, where, where if, if I'm white, I can go to that nonprofit and sit under and, and learn from and, and be in community with. And the more you do mm. that, you start to realize that it's, 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 it's not about, um, the divisions that we create socioeconomically it's mm. about being in it's just it's it truly becomes about solidarity when you start to hear stories you start to go these are we're we're, we're literally all human and 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 mm. um man that is faith in practice that that is that is faith in practice that is the living out of our faith and so that's my challenge uh to listeners and i trust that god will provide an, an opportunity you know for listeners for you to be able to do that in your in your place where you are in your context so uh terrence can you just give us um mm. give listeners a final concluding thought or 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 word uh for this episode yeah I, i've been really moved by this quote that i found online and um man i i want to read it if you don't mind yeah if you go ahead just give me a second um Man, it's it's one that has caused me to like even consider my my own the own my own ways in which you know I communicate that I'm standing in solidarity with with people. Uh, it has made me to you know give me a a chance to really think and reflect on if I am being who I say that I'm being right. And it also reminds me of, of Jesus, right? Like it says this, it says, if you want to be someone's ally, but haven't been hit by the stones thrown at them, you aren't standing close enough to them yet. Mm. And um, man, we talk about the incarnate Jesus. Think about, he was the chief cornerstone that the builders rejected. You know, yeah. think about Jesus. He was the one that took on the cross uh, for all of humanity. You know, he 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 modeled what it meant to stand close enough. And, you know, it just really convicts my heart to examine, am I really standing close enough to my unhoused neighbor, my impoverished neighbor, my my white neighbor, my Asian American neighbor, my indigenous neighbor, you know, my Latin neighbor. You know, I, I'm really 
you know, really thinking about this quote in the life of Jesus and how it, how I need to stand close enough. Um, and I would encourage you to consider the ways in which you need to stand close enough. Mm. Yes, man. That's a great closing quote. Thanks so much, Terrence. Thanks for jumping back on the flip side with us. It's awesome to have you back. Uh, great job on the book listeners. I definitely, I'll, I'll promote your book for you. Uh, listeners, check out All God's Children by Dr. Terrence Lester. And uh, Terrence, thanks so much, man. Thank you. We're back. And uh, as I mentioned, I, I really encourage you to pick up a copy of All God's Children uh, by Terrence Lester in Varsity Press. A great place to start uh, or to continue your journey on the the cognitive solidarity that is needed. And I just want to say, you know, for for Terrence, it's I think it's easy if you're listening to this podcast, you know, to hear some of the national media attention that he's got for his work with Love Beyond Walls and the great stuff they're doing. And it's or to you know, he's publishing books and he's being interviewed and to think, I don't know, oh, he's got it made or something like that. Just know that what he's doing is a grind. He is on the front lines. He is taking huge risks. The things that he's doing, he's getting lots of, lots of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Resistance from. He's pushing up against political forces uh, as well, and and within the church, you know, getting getting resistance. And so, if you connect with Terrence, if you enjoy the interview, I'd encourage you to just reach out to him and encourage him. He's very active on Twitter. Uh, his Twitter handle is I'm Terrence Lester. It's I am the letters I am and then his name, Terrence Lester. Uh, and to, to reach out to him there on Instagram, too. He's he's very active. Um, and so let me see if I can if I can find that. But my point is just reach out and give him some encouragement that you listen to the episode that you're you're rooting for him. You're pulling for him as a ministry leader myself. That goes a long way. That goes a long way when uh, one person who says they're pulling for you, that can help overcome, you know, 10 discouragements that, that might have faced you uh, that day. One last thing I was after someone who's, you know, um, gotten the, the stones thrown at them or not, if they've hit you too. I think that's really powerful. And it reminded me of a scene from the movie Selma. So we're talking about movies and books. Uh, if you're not a reader or if you just, you know, add this to your, your viewing cue, uh, the movie Selma and it, there's a powerful scene in there. I cried during it because I am a white pastor who cares deeply about these things. There's a powerful scene where some some white pastors come, I think, from the north to support Dr. King. And, you know, they get they get beat up bad. Uh, they get beat up bad by some some folks in the south and they're bloody and they're on the street. And I, I just um, I cried during that scene and the and I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen the movie, if it was connected in the same connection or not but when when dr king uh, i think the part i i cried is when when he talked about why weren't he didn't understand why more white clergy weren't coming to support him why more white clergy from the north weren't coming uh to support him and that just moved me because like i want i would come I, I want you know i want to come um so just let let the spirit work in you in this. When we start to get proximate with people, and, and, and I really mean that about 1 Corinthians 12, when it says when one part of the body suffers or feels pain, the whole body suffers and feels pain. I mean, that's how it's supposed to be. 
and we are a body that has inflicted harm on itself. So when we talk about history, it's really important that we understand that wasn't just non-Christian politicians, that the, the, the politicians, the police chiefs, the, um, the KKK clansmen, the you know Grand Dragons, these were Christians. These were Christian, Christian, Christians. People went from church to the lynching. I mean, it is, it is, it is, it's historical. These laws were made by Christians, and the church was complicit in all of it. They, they had theology from the Bible to, you know, to, to, back, uh, to back this stuff up. So it's, it's really important that for us today as Christians that, that we understand that and that we say, we, <laughs> God has called us to something higher than this. We can't just let the status quo be the status quo the way, the way that it was created. So I hope that you're able to put the connections together in your own personal discipleship. So when we get proximate with people, when we do what Jesus did, which is really what we're talking about, let the Holy Spirit work in you in that. And that's going to look different for different people. Uh, but please let the Holy Spirit do this in you. It's a part of our discipleship that is lacking. It's a part of our discipleship that needs to be addressed. I mean, we stand accountable before God for what he's laid out in Scripture and and uh, laid out in Scripture. And, and uh, this is. Uh, that needs to be needs to have the fan the flame needs to be fanned uh you know and so that's what we're trying to do here on the flip side i hope it's been helpful to you i hope it's been done in a way uh that's that's you're able to receive it and it's able to help you uh and it's able to give you some to give you some next steps so thank you so much for listening again as we said in the intro uh trying to make the flip side sustainable uh, there's two ways you can do that. If the flip side is helping you, if it's helping you in your walk and you're able to support it financially, you can go to patreon.com slash Noah Philippiak uh, for a small amount per month. Support the flip side. One other way that's free and is very helpful in helping make this, uh, this show sustainable is just to find your favorite flip side episode and post it on social media and uh, write a couple lines. Uh, about why you like the flip side or why you like this art this certain episode and to encourage your friends and followers to listen uh that would that would go a long way in helping us uh, be able to continue uh to do the show and to do it in a healthy way which is really important so thanks so much for listening and i will see you next time on the flip side The Flip Side with Noah Philippia is a Beyond Ministries production. Copyright Noah Philippiac. www.noahphilippiac.com. Theme music by Kyle Lake at Lake Music. Used with permission. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. It's time to bring me closer. There's no purgatory because you're in or you're out. When you see them in the clouds, then you know it's going down. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Poor pit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but short is with your days. And you ever-